Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So happy to see you this morning. Welcome. We're at week number four of our Peace Be With You series. Uh, my name is Quincy. I'm one of the pastors here. It's been amazing to not only participate with the teaching, uh, but also be encouraged by it as we, uh, as we go through uh, piece by piece, so to speak, this, uh, this journey into what it is to be a peacemaker. And um, I'm so thankful that we had Carmen to set us off with just kind of a definition of what peace is. Uh, then uh, we had Steve, our downtown pastor, share what peace looks like in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And to hear from Samuel uh, last week, which was, I, I love to hear from Samuel. I love that guy a lot. But to hear him share on what it is to be, to be with one another. Um, it reminds me, there was a conversation I had with somebody recently. They're talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have that expression, can I get a witness? But what about can I get a withness? as we walk together shoulder to shoulder in bringing peace uh, to our communities and in our neighborhoods. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it is to have peace within. I think this, is, this can be the most challenging, the most, uh, the most difficult of the, uh, the finding peace. It's the peace that we have within ourselves. There's a passage of scripture that, um, that I keep going to. It may be familiar to you. Uh, the early days of the pandemic, we have a little uh, whiteboard on a refrigerator at home. And usually it's for lists of like the things that you need to pick up, uh, like groceries, that kind of thing. Occasionally there was a season where my kids were writing nasty messages back and forth to each other. Um, but, uh, but early on in the pandemic, those first few days, uh, I, wiped, I wiped that whiteboard and I put on this passage of scripture, Philippians uh, chapter 4. And, um, and it was a, and continues to be a reminder to me in times of anxiety. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, the peace of God, which exceeds the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And for some reason, when I, when I first read these words, I had the assumption that whoever was writing them was writing them from a perspective or a place of everything is okay. Don't worry, be happy. A smiling face, just, hey, don't worry about anything but only to realize a little later on that the, the author, Paul the Apostle, was very likely writing these words from prison and not sure if he was going to be facing his execution at any time. And he's writing these words to a church, the early church. At this point, the church is still very, very young, would all be suffering or under some sort of kind of persecution. And because this was the early days of the church, like this is not like... Um, will ban you from protesting or will ban you from gathering. This is like, no, the consequences are high. Like if, if, you're, if you're known to be a Christian, like the, the persecution actually can, can end in death. And these words come out from Paul, from prison, to rejoice and to not be anxious and to bring everything to God. 
And in return, God will grant us peace. The kind of peace that doesn't make any sense. The kind of peace that when you look at the circumstance and the situation, you say, no, 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 peace is the last thing that should be on your mind. That in spite of what you're experiencing currently, that you can have peace. That my, my personality, my default, uh, people that know me well, they will, I'm, I'm kind of laid back. Um, if you know my wife, you know that's not the case. I think that's um, opposites attract. I've heard that somewhere. Is that a, that's a thing? I think it's a, that's a thing in our, in our place. Opposites attract. Uh, some people would describe me as un, unflappable, where anything can happen and I'm just, I'm really calm about it. But there are, there are times when I, I get anxious or I get fearful of maybe things that uh, I, I don't see uh, how the future can, can unfold. I'm sometimes anxious about the unknown. I'm not sure if that has to do with me getting a little bit older uh, or uh, having kids, having teenagers, having more stuff that I have to care about and, and, and manage and care for. I don't know. Sometimes I find myself getting more anxious. When's the last time for the adults in the room that you've been on a swing? Like real question. Yeah, I don't know. I was on with the kids. I was surprised at how fearful I got in that moment. I don't know. When you get hurt, it's like you don't know how long it's gonna take for you to bounce back. You know, like, anyway. I, I sometimes get that feeling of, of, of nervousness or worry. And then when, I, when that starts to, to creep in, I think of these words of Paul, do not be anxious for anything. It doesn't say don't be anxious because you have nothing to be anxious about. But it says don't be anxious about anything. And that God will, God will what? He'll, he'll, desire, he'll give you the desires of your heart or he'll make sure that everything is okay. No, he says, He says not to worry, fear, because God will provide you with peace. A peace that doesn't make any sense. And I would say that peace uh, would be considered a rare commodity in our society, in our culture these days. Uh, if you look in the national headlines in your news feed, or, uh, it's conflict, it's war. Uh, overseas, it's constant, it's always. And if that's too far removed and distant from your own experience, you don't have to go too far than to look just south of the border to the pain and the chaos and the senseless violence that is happening almost on a regular basis. You can ask the question, hey, did you hear about the latest mass shooting? And unfortunately, we're in a place where we have to specify it and say, well, which one are you talking about? Because it's so much. I'm reading recently in our city of just the increase of carjackings and stabbings and all of the things that are happening in our communities. And in the last two years, there's been a lack of peace, even in our, our homes, in our families, where at one point, kind of uh, regular arguments over the dinner table on policy and politics have now actually gone to a place of like severe 
severing in family relationships. And even in our church right now, has been rocked. I think if I'm, if I'm to, to find a word to describe the experience of our church right now, uh, peaceful would not be the first word that comes to mind. And, and not because I think that there's a lot of conflict, but I think that there's just this feeling of, of restlessness. There's a feeling of almost weariness, like, all right, more bad news or hard news after more hard news after more hard news. And there's just this longing of when are we going to experience that peace that Jesus is talking about. But in all of these instances, whether it be global or across the border or in our families or in our, in our communities, I'd say at the core of having real peace comes from us as individuals. The peace that we have within ourselves. I think if we start with that, everything else begins to make a little more sense and becomes more Manageable. I think it's significant for a couple of reasons. It, for one, it's the battle or the struggle or the, the challenge for peace that holds us as individuals more personally accountable. And also, it can be the hardest one to identify. Uh, it's very easy to point uh, and see what's wrong with the other person, especially the, you know, the person beside you or the person across from you. But sometimes difficult to see your own things that need to be uh, conquered. But it's the inner work that makes the outer work possible. I love this uh, bit of wisdom from uh, an unknown 12th century monk. And he says this, when I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. And I found that was difficult to change the world. So I instead tried to change my nation. And when I found that I couldn't change my nation, I began to focus on my town. And I couldn't change the town as an older man. I just tried to change my family. And now as an old man, I realized the only thing that I can truly change is myself. And suddenly I realized that if long ago I had changed myself, I could have made an impact on my family. And my family and I could have made an impact on our town. And their impact could have changed the nation. And I could have indeed then changed the entire world. And this is the importance of the inner work that makes the outer work possible. But what's getting in the way of us understanding that peace? What's getting in the way of us having that peace that passes all understanding? I think the things that we may know instinctively, but, but when we get a chance to name them specifically, if this is what's kind of giving a block, uh, we have a better opportunity of, of overcoming it. Uh, I come from a tradition where we talked a lot about name it and claim it. If you're familiar with that, you say it and you get it. Name it and claim it. Anybody? Yeah, yeah you've heard that before. So I'm going to suggest that we, we say it and we slay it. Meaning we say the thing that's going on, the thing that may be causing us a blockage, and then we, we slay it, we cut it down. Our fear of losing. Our fear of receiving harm, our fear of not being accepted, our fear of not finding love. Or our, 
our anger that often comes from a place of, of judgment, judgment upon others. It's interesting that, that our anger, our rage, uh, which is coming from a place of judgment, often ironically clouds our judgment to be able to see things clearly, to be able to see what's noble and beautiful. Or that, that greed, uh, that, that itch of the appetites that we have, our greed of feeling that happiness, our happiness is linked somehow to us having more. The idea that if I just have a little bit more, then I'm going to be all right. Or our addiction to stimulation. This is the one I'm guilty of, I think. Just wanting to, to be uh, distracted constantly, to not have to think about things or to be, to be numb to what's really going on. Instead of looking to see what is noble and what is beautiful. Let's look at a, a beautiful story in the Gospels. If you go to Mark chapter 5, I love this Gospel, mainly because it's one that you can, I think you can get through in one sitting to read it. It's a short one, it's the action packed one. I love it. We want to read the story uh, starting in chapter 5 in verse 1, the story of the healing of a demon-possessed man. Or another uh, description could be the healing of, not the the demon-possessed man, but the, the story of the man who has an encounter with Jesus and is set free. But before we get into that story, I think it's important to get context. If we read the story that's right before it, In chapter 4, verses 35 to 41 in Mark's gospel, talking about the calming of the storm. And in in Mark's gospel, it talks about uh, the night was coming, the day was over. They were wrapping up. Jesus had spent his entire day teaching and healing the sick and casting out demons and I'm sure him and his people were absolutely exhausted. And in order to, to get them away, to escape from the, the paparazzi and the, the demands and all of the things that were pressing in on Jesus, they said, all right, Jesus, we're going to get in a boat. We're going to go across to the other side of this lake. And we're going we're to spend some time and get some respite. We're going to relax. Good. All right. I need it. They get in the boat. And once they get in the boat, a terrible storm breaks out. Terrible storm breaks out. And the disciples are terrified. And these are people who know the water. They know the boat. They're they're fishermen, a lot of them. So for them to be terrified of a storm means that this was a significant storm. There was a lot going on. And while this is happening, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, unbothered and resting. And the disciples wake him up in a panic. And he stands up and he says to the waves, peace, be still. And just with those words, the storm quiets and there's peace. Everything calms down completely in that moment. And one of the interesting things in this passage that I get a kick out of every time I read it is the reaction of his followers after he does this. Those that are in the boat with him, so they're panicked. They wake up Jesus. He wakes up. They get him going. And after that, Jesus has saved them from uh, from their demise, from perishing. And their response to Jesus calming and everything, I just imagine this calm, still, glass like water. And their response is terror. It's like, who are we in a boat with that can speak a word 
and there's peace. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And the story continues in Mark chapter five. And as they step off the boat after this near death miraculous event, they're greeted not with hospitality, not with warm welcome or like, okay, we've got a place for you, Jesus. We can just rest over here. Here's a tent. No, they're greeted by the local demon possessed man who uh, roams the hills and the tombs at night, naked, cutting himself, screaming at the top of his lungs. They try and keep this man in a cave. They try and keep him in a cave, but he has supernatural super strength where he keeps uh, breaking the chains that they put on him and he's causing havoc all around the world. So this is, their, this is the welcome party to Jesus as he comes uh, for his time of rest. And Jesus has a conversation with the spirits that are inhabiting this man, and Jesus ends up casting out the demons and sending them into a herd of pigs. The pigs go mad, and all 2,000 of them run off a cliff and die. And those that were tending to the pigs rushed to where Jesus was to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, calm, in his right mind. And the man pleads with Jesus to go with him. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, you have work to do here. Who is this man that calms the raging sea? And who is this man that calms the raging sea of our hearts? It's nature, it's the demonic, it's the, the wrestling that we have within us. And Jesus encounters this man who is the lowest of the low, has zero self-control, is part of a community that, that, that attempts to dismiss him by locking him up and trying to throw away the key, which is funny, we tend to do that uh, with the people in our society that don't fit in, just delete them, erase them. And one minute he's screaming at the top of his lungs, cutting himself and completely naked. His scars and his open wounds all over his body, which would be so jarring to witness. He's isolated socially, spiritually, and from his community. And after his encounter with Jesus, seated, clothed, and begging to be taken with him, Jesus encounters this man and everything changes. Don't we all want to be near the one that brings us healing and wholeness? And maybe that was the last piece of peace that was needed to know that Jesus was bringing complete restoration. He didn't need to top up. Jesus didn't need him to be with him so close because he was completely redeemed. And Jesus tells him to stay. Stay here. So many times in Jesus' ministry, he invites people to follow him. So many times in Jesus' ministry, when he does a miracle, he says, don't tell anybody, my time is not here. It's not come. But for this man, Jesus changes the story. He says, you are the peace that is needed in this place. I need you to stay here and tell everyone what God has done for you in your life. And the people plead for Jesus to leave the region. So he does. Because it would, have been in, it would have been very difficult for the people to hear 
or receive what Jesus had for them in the moment. They, they may have been scared by his power, but they were definitely upset uh, that he had just destroyed their livelihood. Because peace coming into a situation can be very difficult. And for many people, it's the most difficult option. So it's easier to not get involved or just to let things pass. And we focus on what we may have lost rather than what has been found. In this case, the healing and the restoration of this man. So for the people of the region, their livelihoods would have been shattered. For them, it was, it was too much of a disruption. Even if it meant that this man would be free from his pain and suffering, but what Jesus knew was that the testimony of transformation, the testimony of peace in this man's life would be enough to eventually change the hearts and minds of his community. And while the initial shock that had happened caused people to back away from Jesus, once they had a chance to see the man was healed, it changes everything. And I, I love the fact that this man actually does what he's told. He stays and he tells and gives a testimony of the inner work that makes this outer work completely possible. And there's a lot of stories in scripture of Jesus interacting and meeting with people and we have these, these big events, but we don't always get a follow-up of what happened after their, their interaction. We meet people and we have no idea of what happened next. What was the result? What's the next part of the story? But we get a glimpse, uh, just a couple chapters, Mark chapter six, Starting in verse 53, we hear uh, some of the results of, of what happened with this demon-possessed man. It says, when they had crossed over, they landed at uh, Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got off the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplace. They begged him to let them touch even the hedge of his, edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So when Jesus comes back to that region just a little bit later on, the people are, are not just welcoming Jesus, they're bringing all of, all of his sick. And they went from running him out of town to honoring him. And we can assume that the man that had an encounter with Jesus was at work, bringing the peace that he now had interacting with Jesus with the peace of his region, the peace of his place. The text says that he went to tell the good news of what God had done in that area. He did that and the people were drawn to Jesus. They wanted to see and experience him. Jesus' peace in the man was bringing peace in the region. The inner work had made the outer work possible. This man, Jesus, that calmed the seas and calmed the heart of someone that was irredeemable. So we think about this story. We think about the, the miraculous event of demons being cast out of this man. But what I found, find most inspiring or most encouraging is the peace brought more peace. It is the peace of Jesus in this man that brings a longing for more and more and more and more people to come to Jesus when they knew about him. And all the people would know this man, this demon-possessed man. They would have known him. They would have heard of him. They would have heard the stories. And I think that's what makes his story all the more powerful. We remember, we remember who you used to be. You still have the scars to show it.
I think that's what makes his story all the more powerful. They knew him, who he was. Now, uh, a helpful exercise when we're looking at passages and something that I, I'll tend to do or encourage people to do when we're in study or breaking down the passages, who do you identify in the story? And uh, if I'm honest, I think you always, the default is always, well, I, I think I'm most like Jesus in this story. The one who is holding peace and then distributing it and giving it to people who are in need. That's my default. I said, well, you know what? The, the Bible says that we're supposed to be humble. I'm going to be humble. You know, as I, I think I'm, I'm more like the disciples. The disciples that were caring for Jesus and wanted him to, to not be overrun by the crowds and kind of in that space. Said, okay, well, not, I don't know if that really fits. I think if I'm looking at this story, I think maybe I, maybe I connect mostly with the, the crowds of people that were, were kicking Jesus out after they had their lives disrupted. Like, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm happy you're here. You're doing some cool things, but don't, uh, don't disrupt my little, um, my little box or my, my, my things that bring me comfort. But then when I think more honestly, when I think more deeply, I think, ah, oh, and I don't like it. Jesus, Jesus is, he's kind, but then he'll also, he'll, show some things maybe you don't want to see. I think, I think I might identify most with that man, the, the demon-possessed man that comes, who's wounded and who's broken. And I, I ask myself, like, what are, those, what are those broken and wounded bits about me that Jesus knows, he sees, but says... Peace, be still. It says stay and tell. An opportunity of, of vulnerability, of, of caring, of, of healing, of peace that can be received that now can be shared with others. What are the pieces in my, my fear, my greed or my appetites or even my judgmentalism that Jesus says, come bring it to me and I'll exchange it. I'll exchange it for, for gratitude. I'll exchange it for a courageousness. I'll exchange it for an acceptance and a love for people, the ability to see others the way that I see them and not the way that you think that they should behave or the way they should act. I think that is what will create a curiosity in others as they see us with our scars and our wounds with an opportunity to, to bring healing. I think our, our church right now is exposed in a sense of many wounds. We're not known for the things uh, completely that we used to be known for. We're becoming known for something else. And I, I wonder to myself, what does it look like if we bring these bits humbly and honestly and authentically to Jesus for him to give us that peace that passes understanding, the peace that makes no sense. And people look and say, ah, I knew you. But this peace now has an opportunity to bring peace in our region, to bring healing in the place where we are.
Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, you're gracious. And as you see your people who um, sometimes pretend to have it all together, but God, I, I, I give thanks and I also am fearful that you see us not for who we pretend to be, but for who we really are. And even in that case, you say, come, I love you. You are forgiven. I impart my peace unto you. Bless us, Lord. Keep us. And let the peace that we experience with you be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name. Close with my favorite passage. One of, one of my favorite passages. I have, I have a number. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Peace be with you.